Hello and welcome to Feminist Fridays, your weekly intersectional dose of self-empowerment and equality. I'm your host, Sarah Liberty, coming to your airwaves from Sydney. And this week we have a guest who is loud and proud. Her name is Danica Lani, and she's a dance, yoga and tantra entrepreneur who specializes in teaching LGBTQIA people how to feel 100% comfortable in their skin. Danny is also the choreographer behind the Kings of Joy. I don't want to write another love song Since all of the love's gone She's gone away Yeah, yeah So maybe I'll say something different But would you listen what I said Cause it's just no use of making you my thing If it ain't about you Then I've run out of words to say Yeah, 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 yeah I just can't stop writing songs about you I'm thinking, and I'm not even drinking, but I'm drunk on you, you, you. You're the rhythm and the groove, and you're the sweetest melody. Maybe I just can't dance unless you're dancing right here next to me. Welcome to Feminist Fridays. Hello. Hello, Sarah. It's great to be here. So I'd like to kick off by asking you uh, what it was like growing up. Where are you from and what were your earliest influences? Well, I grew up in a very small country town, population 374 people right now. So uh, very small country town in northeast Victoria. And... Um, 
yeah, went all the way through primary school and high school. Uh, there we had a family of seven. I always say when we left it was devastating, but it's not actually true that we all left all at once. We left one at a time. But uh, it was a small country town. So I was the only person in my entire grade throughout all of primary school, which I loved that, I, you know, because I could learn at my own pace. Mm. We do have something in common. I spent some of my younger years growing up in small towns. I don't know if it was quite as small as yours, but it's not a bad way to grow up. I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. And I found that I just had this freedom. We didn't have neighbours, but I had this freedom to, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting looking back and looking at gender expression. So this freedom to um, play with Barbie dolls and climb trees and build cubbies. You know, it was mm. like, it was like all, all the expressions were available. <laughs> I was very similar. I was, I was a bit of a tomboy, but I also liked wearing pink dresses. So um, I embraced it all. So you're currently a dance, yoga and tantra coach and you choreograph an event. What drew you to this path? Were you always entrepreneurial and passionate about life performance? Or was there an aha moment? Well, I would say that I was, I've always been an artist. Um, mm -hmm. The entrepreneurial bit came later. So I don't know if, if, if anyone who's listening is, is an artist or has been an artist, you might have um, realised that we don't always come with business skills. <laughs> so the business mm -hmm. skills part was like something I had to learn later. But in terms of dance, I was five years old and um, when I did my first dance class now that was back in the 80s it wasn't called dance class it was called dance aerobics so amazing so i went to my first dance aerobics class and the thing was i went in i went i was looking into the into the hall where there were all these six five and six year old girls and i don't think i'd seen so as many five and six year old girls in the one place at the one time and i was refusing to go in there i was like i'm not going in there no way and then what happened was the teacher's assistant came out and she sat with me outside of the room and she said, you know, Danica, if you go into this dance class, I will give you a sweet biscuit. <laughs> and I knew exactly which sweet biscuit it was because my parents worked at this place. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go in, right? So sugar, sugar started my dance career. <laughs> I've since quit sugar, but... Um, I did grow up dancing and my, with my sisters as well. And, you know, one of the things that I, um, in growing up, I, uh, loved Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson was my idol. I spent hours recording her film clips and then rewinding them on a VHS. For those of you who remember a VHS, pausing, rewinding to learn the choreography. That's what I did in my spare time. And, uh, I remember when I came to to high school and I uh, did a dance routine with my two elder sisters um, in the Talent Quest, End of Year Talent Quest. And for me, it was like a political coming out because we did this dance routine to like Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson and um, it don't matter if you're black or white. Like it was like for me saying, this is who I am, this is what I believe in. Janet Jackson really taught me about social justice issues, racism, you know, these kinds of things that I I don't know how else I might have had um, exposure in that way um, growing up where I grew up. 
Well, I went to a Janet Jackson concert when I was in high school. I went to the Velvet Rope tour. Oh, my God, I went to that as well. What did you think? It was amazing. I loved it. Um, I also did some dance lessons growing up, um, probably not as, as from as young an age as you, but I was doing jazz ballet and tap. Um, and I probably would have been motivated by a biscuit as well. Well, I wanted to do tap, but I was already doing classical ballet, jazz ballet and contemporary. Plus my sisters were doing all the different classes as well. And mum was just, and dad, they were just at capacity, you know, like, yeah. no, no to tap. <laughs> I was like, I'm oh, devastated. But I continued studying, doing dance and studied at, at um, in my final years of high school. And then I went straight into a um, Bachelor of Arts majoring in contemporary dance. Um, yeah. Amazing. So when did you decide to focus on teaching LGBTQIA people with the goal of helping them to feel comfortable in their own skin? What inspired you to work with this demographic? Yeah, I think over the over the years that I've been in business, I've, um, you know, been passionate about that, that people dance. I've been committed that people dance. And for me, that means that you know, I don't need to work with dancers because they're already dancing. They already go to class and, you know, rehearsal and train and whatever. I'm like, they're handled. Great. Okay. Who are the people I love working with? And I love working with people who typically don't have a dance background um, that, that can be empowered through the body in in self-expression and, like you say, being, being at home in your own skin. And as I um, continued along in my business, it just became more and more evident to me that the people I love working with the most it are people from the LGBTQIA plus community and they're straight allies, you know. So I have clients who are definitely straight allies. But the other thing for me, Sarah, was that I wanted to create a business where I get to be unapologetically myself. And to be able to be on unapologetically myself, I really need um, to be working with people who also accept me exactly the way I am and exactly the way I'm not or and, and vice versa. So, um, yeah, it was part of designing, like really digging into who are the people that I love working with the most because, you know, in business you can't just rely on having to show up every day. You've got to find the thing that, that motivates you, that, that, that you're passionate about, that has you get out of bed in the morning. So mm. that's the thing. Yeah. Absolutely. So if I was to um, come and check out one of your classes, I've got – some experience, as I said, in um, jazz and contemporary dance, but I don't have any experience of Tantra. Can you describe for us what one of your typical classes would entail? Sure. So um, I have several different programs. So for the dancing, I have two different dance groups that you join. So you do like a um, a number of weeks together and then perform at the end for your friends and family. So one group is called show ponies and you've got to flick your hair when you say show ponies and show ponies is for unleashing your inner diva. And we do dance tributes to pop icons. So we just recently did a Janet Jackson, speaking of a Janet Jackson um, tribute. Um, and then my other dance group is called Kings of Joy and it's a drag king group. I have a group for first time drag kings Um as well, so they're kind of like the dance group stuff, and then the um, the tantra is under the really un under the umbrella of yoga. And I teach six yoga online yoga classes a week, 
um, to keep my practice up, but also to, you know, practice with other other like-minded people with zero commute. Um, and, yeah, the Tantra, I've been teaching uh, a workshop every year pre-COVID, but every year I've been teaching a workshop on same-sex Tantra at a festival called the Seven Sisters Festival uh, down in Melbourne and uh, or outside of Melbourne. And uh, and now it's something that I, you know, I take private clients. So we might have a um, six-week or a 12-week program that we go through of weekly calls. And so I'd coach you using this um, tantra distinctions to work on whatever it is that you want to work on in the areas of sex, sexuality and vitality. Interesting. I, I think, you know, when you hear tantra, maybe a few people might link it to you get that image of it's about sex but it's not just about that at all it's about being connected to your body and sensuality from what i understand yeah it is more holistic than 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 that and uh my particular passion about um teaching queer tantra is from my own experience of having been in the past in a in a long-term committed relationship where my girlfriend didn't want to have sex with me anymore and you know, being in that committed relationship where it's like every day it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening, <laughs> and it looks like it'll never happen again. Um, Tantra is the thing that made the difference for me in disappearing that lesbian bed death um, experience. And, um, yeah, I, that's why I'm passionate about bringing Tantra to the queer community. Partly, you know, when I came across Tantra myself, I remember looking up this... Um, a uh, beautiful singer, one of my favourite kirtan singers, which is a yoga type of chanting, and she was running a retreat, a tantra retreat. I was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to this. And then I read the fine print, which said um, heterosexual couples only. And I decided, oh, wow, I mean, this is a while ago, but I decided oh, tantra is clearly not for me. And it wasn't until years later that I had a colleague who's a yoga instructor who's um, very inclusive and she started um, teaching Tantra in Melbourne and I, um, you know, assisted her. I went along to the first workshop to support her. But, of course, I <laughs> discovered so many great things and had an amazing time that I ended up assisting on her workshops and then leading some of the workshops, but specifically for, for, the, for the lesbian community. Um, and that's where I could see I can make a really big difference in the lesbian and trans community. So... I understand that you're also involved in choreographing and facilitating a Sydney show called Kings of Joy with your partner, Chris, and work with first-time drag kings. I am a massive fan of drag and I really want to try it. Um, so what are your tips for anyone who might want to learn drag for the first time? What could I expect if I was to join the ensemble? Yeah. Well, the Kings of Joy, which is part of um, the event that you mentioned, is called Queers of Joy that my my partner Chris is a co-producer of with a couple of other people, Gabrielle and Malika. And the show itself is to is a platform for trans, non-binary, gender diverse, gender non-conforming performers, um, so that they can get paid, and that we have a, a, a night that is really um, inclusive and and um, specifically for the community, and. From the beginning, Chris and I decided we would do a uh, a first-time drag king group and it was mostly inspired by the fact that Chris and I met 
by being in a drag king group together. That's how we met. And then now we're married. So um, we wanted to bring that joy that we'd experienced of being in a drag king group to other people. So we offer a scholarship program where people can participate at no cost um, for six weeks uh, in the Kings of Joy. And you have to be a first timer. So you've never done drag before, uh, performed as a drag king. And um, yeah, we have groups of anywhere between four and eight people um, who are participating. And we go through a process together of choosing a song together and of distinguishing your drag persona. So for me, a drag persona is is distinct from like taking on a character, something that's completely different than yourself. We lean into your masculinity and your masculine expression and um, something that's authentic to you. And the other reason we do that is to ensure that we're not um, using any cultural misappropriation. You know, we use our own cultural heritage to draw from. Um, Racism has been an issue in the drag community previously. So, you know, it's really important that we just stick to our own heritage when we're creating our drag personas and we go through and learn a, uh, a I choreograph the routine and then uh, everyone learns the routine together and then performs at Queers of Joy and I have to say it's an absolute highlight Sarah people love 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 the energy of these brand new kings who are doing something some of them are performing for the first time ever but all of them are doing um, drag for the first time ever and it's just absolutely thrilling I love it. It sounds awesome. And do you help people to, to sing? Because that could be an obstacle for me. I do love karaoke, but I'm not the best singer in the world. Oh, do you know what the best thing about, well, I don't know if it's the best thing, but one of the great things about Drag Kings, you don't have to sing. It's only lip syncing. Oh, okay. There you go. You can uh, lip sync away to your heart's content. <laughs> Okay, you may have a new customer. So I understand something special happened with Queers of Joy during lockdown. When you decided to take the show online, you met Lucretia, Festo and Fahad from Block 13, who are Ugandan refugees living in Kenya. And this led to you partnering with them and coaching 56 adults plus their kids who are LGBTQIA and facing regular violence. What inspired you and Chris to forge this partnership? And how do you know that the work you're doing is creating some change? Yeah, so, I mean, to be clear, we're not, we, we didn't take on coaching the whole community, but we definitely have created a relationship with particularly Lucretia as well as Festo and Farhad. And Chris has done most of this, this work and, um, uh, has been instrumental in in creating a fundraising campaign where we've you know it's like we've met these friends so how it happened let me back up a little bit how it happened is that um during lockdown we uh took quiz of joy online um and what the first event there were people from uh pakistan who bought tickets trans people in pakistan and in the us and the uk and various parts of europe and then the second time we we did it. Lucretia had found Queers of Joy online and she says, what is this Queers of Joy? What is this joy? We have to know about this Queers of Joy. And so she came, uh, contacted Chris on Facebook and, um, and came online for a little bit now that it was raining in the, in the refugee camp. So it interviewed, interfered with the internet. 
Um, so afterwards, Chris sent Lucretia the recording for the show and Lucretia sat down with a, a number of people in the camp and they watched it together and it just brought them this sense of, in her words, sense of hope and joy. And, you know, there were times where they got up and danced with everyone, you know, it was, and, and Lucretia said that it was the first time she'd seen smiles on people's faces uh, like that in a very, very long time. So that was the beginnings of that relationship. And we just, Chris has been, you know, asking what, how can we, how can we support you? You know, and so the next show that we had, Lucretia and Farhad and Festo came on and actually did a pre-recorded performance, um, a lip syncing performance. And they also um, came on live and did some um, reading of some poetry of one of their um, you know, members of the community who had died in the arson attacks. Um, and so it was, there was not a dry eye in the house. It was absolutely devastating and moving. And, um, yeah, we've continued continued that relationship through the community. Uh, we've raised over $3,000 for them so far. And they've been so accountable and um, responsible for, you know, just taking some of the funds at a time um, and using it to do things like uh, after their shelter was burned down by a petrol bombing, um, they were sleeping on the ground out with no shelter at all. And so they've been able to buy mattresses for everyone and they've been able to rebuild one of the shelters, which was the shelter where the lesbians and, and kids were sleeping, um, which now also functions as the school for the kids. So they've been able to start their schooling again and... Um, which has brought them a lot of happiness and, uh, yeah, other essentials like rice. They had one cup of rice to last till Christmas a month or so ago um, amongst, you know, 56 adults and, and the kids. So, Wow, that's incredible. I mean, after kind of enduring such challenging times, I can completely imagine that there must be a real sense of hope that comes with doing something fun, you know, the live show. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And that's one of the main, you know, the money makes a difference too, but it's also the currency of hope and joy that, you know, and friendship um, that is really making a difference as well. Mm. So it must be really inspiring to partner with a team here in Kenya. What What's it like working together? Do they do they speak English? Does anything ever get lost in translation? <laughs> Great question. Yeah, they speak English. And um, uh, Lucretia is an incredible young human being. So she's a trans woman who's in her early 20s and she calls herself a human rights defender. And the community is very self-organising. You know, they live in this um, one end of the refugee camp um, but surrounded by other refugees and there's violence from the other refugees because of their sexuality um, and their gender expression. So, you know, Lucretia recently got hit in the head with a rock. Um, they've been, you know, relegated to the back of the line with the water supply. So then they drank dirty water and so everybody got malaria and typhoid, um, had to go into hospital for that. Um in their in their little community so um yeah it's, they're very self-organizing and they have a finance team you know they have groups of people in their community who are self-organizing and lucretia's been amazing she's um 
She's now one of Amnesty International um, human rights defenders. So you can kind of see her on the, on there as well. Um, and they've been using social media to reach out to people and let them know what's been happening. Uh, and there is a parliament in Europe somewhere who, you know, have been talking about them recently. There's a bit of a report being made on them recently um, by a couple of uh, refugee organisations. So we're just hoping that we can spread the word and that surely there's someone who can help grant the, you know, find asylum for these people perhaps in a new, in a new place. It's illegal in Uganda to be homosexual. It's also, um, you know, there's different um, laws and punishable offences in both Uganda and Kenya. So it's it's a very difficult um, environment to be living in. It is a little bit, you know, shocking when you realise that there are parts of the world where it's not okay to just be yourself. So if you're comfortable, I'd like to ask you about your personal life. I identify as being bi and I have a best friend who's trans and I'm very vocal about supporting queer equality and rights. What has the experience been like starting and raising your family? What unique opportunities and challenges have you come across? Yeah, um, so with my family, I'm married to Chris and um, and I inherited uh, a daughter and I never thought that I would have kids in the picture, Sarah. I was like 40 and so far no kids in the picture apart from my nieces and nephews who I absolutely love, but I just didn't plan on it, you know. And then you meet someone who is your your person and you fall in love with this person and they're the one you, you marry and and they're, they're, they're a package. They come with another human being. So Chris's daughter and um, who was two when I first met her. And I have to say it has been an absolute surprise and delight to me. I love being a parent. My dad is, um, is actually my step-parent, although we don't, um, you know, relate to him like that. Um, but it's, it's actually been great to speak with my dad about parenting and step-parenting as well um, and, and kind of share that um, given that I was his stepdaughter um, I was one and a half when mum and him married. My my biological father had died just before I was born uh, at age 32, heart attack, absolutely shocking. Um, so, yeah, I think um, the experience, you know, I had early experiences as well, Sarah, of um, growing up in the country, which I mentioned, uh, and in the late 90s, experiencing a lot of fear, and part of it was my own internalised homophobia and part of it was the external circumstances. We had a guy who was a year above us who came back to town um, after high school and he got bashed up the street. So when I fell in love with my first girlfriend who was the year below me in high school, I was absolutely terrified. Um, and I experienced, you know, a, a wall, a barrier going up between me and other people in, in my school who I'd previously been really open with and friendly with and, you know, so I found that extremely difficult and we actually left left as soon as we could and my girlfriend and I um, moved to Melbourne and, and she finished her last year of high school in, in Melbourne so that we could, we called it the year of the great escape. And, um, yeah, so I think, you know, there's been those kinds of challenges. Um, 
being in my early 20s and being someone who was um, gender non-conforming, that's probably the most that I was gender non-conforming um, in my early 20s. And looking back, I I thought that um, various things were happening in my life, like catching, catching public transport and being um, harassed and um, chased and, you know, threatened um, by strangers, uh, by men. I thought that was probably because I was a lesbian, but I think actually looking back, it was also or more predominantly even because I was gender non-conforming, you know, and I didn't look the way that I was supposed to look, you know, as as a woman. So, yeah, it's really interesting to kind of look back as you continue to um, grow and develop over life and and um, see those different challenges from different um, perspectives. Um, and, yeah, I think these days one of the things that has been um, a missing for me from moving from Melbourne to Sydney was that transition socially uh, and not experiencing any community here in Sydney. And, um, and so in creating Queers of Joy and Kings of Joy, we've actually created a community that didn't exist prior um, for us personally, as well as for other people, uh, where we're really connected. And, you know, if you go through a Kings of Joy experience, you're bonded. You know, you've, you've like performed on stage, you've helped people do binding and all sorts of make, you know, makeup and various things. So it's like, you know, you really create a bond with people. And uh, that has been absolutely transformational to have a an experience of community here in Sydney that I didn't think was possible in the queer community. Well, hearing about your community, I think I want to be a part of it as well. It sounds great. <laughs> Join us. Yes, absolutely. So it sounds like you're already having a great time and lots of success with your coaching, your entrepreneur work and the events. What do you have on the cards for 2022? Oh, wow, very exciting. We're expanding to uh, Melbourne Midsummer. We're doing a Quiz of Joy Midsummer show and I've just started with seven new drag kings in Melbourne, so I'm doing that remotely um, with them. Uh, and then we'll continue on with the the Queers of Joy and Kings of Joy. Uh, I run the Show Ponies and Kings of Joy All-Stars twice a year in the showcase and we raise money for the Hunger Project. We'll keep fundraising for, um, you know, in supporting uh, Lucretia uh, and Festo and Fahad in the community at Block 13. They particularly are asking for things like um, mental health support, professional mental health support, but also um you know, we're looking at things like a buddy system just to bring that sense of you're seen, you're heard, you're not alone, and we we see you and we're with you, um, even remotely. You know, so um, very excited about that. And I'm going to be, um, yeah, continuing to launch in lean into the the queer tantra stuff. I want to do some in person workshops next year. To create a bit of a community around that conversation as well. So it's all happening, Sarah. It is indeed. Well, it's so exciting as well now that we're able to do classes and workshops again. I think it's great that so much was able to move online, but doing things in person is just the best. Yeah. So as this is a feminist radio segment and podcast, I'd like to ask you how feminism has been a part of your journey. And I'm an intersectional feminist, so I believe feminism is about equality for all, not just women's rights. Yeah, great. Um, 
I would say I've been a feminist since I was a young girl. My mum was a feminist of her own kind. She was in a women's a cappella singing group and wrote different um, songs that we grew up singing. Uh, I grew up singing in, in three-part harmony with my my three sisters while we were doing the dishes. Um, yeah, and also my dad, you know, he wrote letters on behalf of Amnesty International when I was growing up. So I, was, I would say I was raised in a in a humanitarian um, household. And, uh, yeah, at university I studied um, women's studies. That would have been my second major. Um, and it it was called women's studies at the time, and it absolutely 100% changed my life. Um, so, yeah, proud feminist. And, um, you know, as you say, Sarah, the intersectionality of, of feminism is 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 important to uh, look at through the lens of race, through the, en- the through the lens of um, classism, ableism, you know, um, gender and sexuality, all of those kind of lenses of the of the human experience. So, um, yeah, I've been an activist for many many years, particularly in my early twenties. Did a lot of um, uh, you know marching, rallying. <laughs> Did the um, stand outside of an abortion clinic and get pushed by one of the anti-abortion people on the ground? You know, like <laughs> looking back, did a you know did some hands-on stuff on the street stuff, um, and yeah, have always been a stand really that that we all belong to the same human family, and just like a family, we're going to have conflict. So peace is not about no conflict; it's about conflict resolution and acknowledging unearned privilege you know, that, we, that we've um, gathered in life um, or just by, just by when and how we were born and what, what skin colour we've been born into um, and, uh, and our life experiences. And, yes, I think that stuff is very important to acknowledge um, so that we can continue to uplift and empower each other as part of the human family. Amen. <laughs> I do. I was having a laugh when you were saying you like going, we used to like going to rallies. I'm definitely um, a fan of a good rally. Yes. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So one final question for you. Where can my listeners find you, follow you and sign up for your coaching if they're interested in connecting with you? Yeah. So my website is anakalani.com. That's D-A-N-I-C-A-L-A-N-I, danikalani.com, and you can find all of my um, programs on there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram at danikalani and uh, Facebook at, Danik- at I am danikalani as well. So we'd love to connect with you and, uh, yeah, look forward to having lots more fun in 2022. It sounds like it's going to be a very fun year ahead and you may see me very soon joining one of your drag classes. Awesome. Well, we have served you another sassy episode of Feminist Fridays for this week. But before you sashay away, I'm going to leave you with a new track by RuPaul called Catwalk. Enjoy. Remember what I told you.
stay for